Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I had no college degree. I had no formal business training. And I was a little full of myself. I thought that I could make it up as I go, do it by gut instinct. I was so creative. I was so successful. And again, I was successful within my little world, right? It was a lifestyle business at that time. I know a shortcut and here's what the shortcut is. Do the work, take the courses, do the EMP at MIT, do an entrepreneurial master's course, find out how do businesses create that firm foundation in which to grow. I didn't start getting that training until 2015. And at 2015, I was already a couple million dollar in revenue. I had no idea how to read my financial reports and I didn't care. I didn't know how much money was going in or out. I kind of knew by gut still. And I was afraid of talking about financial reports with anybody. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people were living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, and business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Marshazde. And boy, do we have a special guest today. My sister, Natasha Miller, is in the house. What's up, Natasha? Hey. Well, let's see. What is up? So many things are up. But, you know, you can decide what up you want to talk about first. There's there's so many ups, so little time. I'm, I'm We're going to get after it here. So first of all, I just want to say this. So Natasha and I realized before the show, we, I was going through kind of our experiences in life. And we have all these like threads that have crossed one another. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest, I think the most centric part of that being San Francisco, we roll in some of the same circles. So I'm really excited to have you on the show to talk about so many cool things. Most notably, I'm going to be diving into your new best-selling book, Relentless. Yeah. I can't wait to go there. But I want to, can I, do you mind if I give a little bit, do a little bit of housekeeping and I want to kind of give a, a little bit of background on what made this show come to be? Is that? Yeah, let's do it. So 
for those of you that have not seen the show, The Greatness Machine, we are about two things. People are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world, despite the odds. And Natasha is neither short of passion nor greatness, which is one of the reasons why I asked her to be on the show. Guys, Natasha Miller isn't your average CEO. She's been listed on Inc. 5000's list as a CEO and founder of Entire Productions. They're doing huge events for companies like Salesforce and San Francisco, and that's for three years in a row. So that's pretty badass. I must, I didn't even know this. We are both Inc. 5000 CEOs. Man, the list continues to grow how Natasha and I have so much in common. Natasha's passion and commitment is to giving back, motivate her participation, and contributions are numerous, as well as charitable organizations. She is the best-selling author of her memoir, Relentless. And when we say best-selling, I'm not talking just like some run-of-the-mill best-selling. I'm talking Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller, which is a huge accomplishment. I'm super pumped to talk to you about your book. And this is what I find most interesting about you. You are a trained jazz vocalist and classically trained violinist. Yep. And you're a member of the Recording Academy, aka Grammys. Yep. A ton of other professional organizations, and I'm so pumped to have you here, Natasha. Man, you're one accomplished person. I am, and I know why. It why? all stems from, I mean, do you want to go deep this quickly? Dude, I'm the king of going deep. Okay. And I already know what you're going to say, but I want to hear you say it. Yeah. I, th- I really do believe this. I don't know if it was innate, if I, were, if I was born this way, but when you're told by your mother, uh, from the time you can remember every day of your life that she hates you and that she'd rather kill you and go to jail than see your ugly face. That shapes you. And what it did for me was it made me, you know, I'm lo- I was looking for someone to save me my entire life. And the way that I wanted to show, you know, I, I needed to show value. I needed to show people that I was valuable enough to come and take away. So I was a singer. I taught myself piano. I started playing the violin in fourth grade. I became good at everything that I could possibly do well. And I started monetizing. This is how I got into entrepreneurship. I had to monetize everything because at the age of 16 on Christmas day, I was abandoned by my family at a homeless shelter. So yeah, the shit hit the fan like my whole life. And it really is a miracle that I'm sitting here talking to you today with genuine joy, happiness, contentment. But I do want to say to anyone listening, and I have to make sure that I I do this, even though I got myself out of these situations and I am on a very much upward trajectory, happy It's not pure happiness and pure joy all the time. There's still challenges. There's still things I got to get over. There's still things I have to work on. And pretty much every day, I do feel bad or down for a certain amount of time. So I just want to make sure that people don't see the gloss without the grit. Yeah, wow. So can I ask a, a personal question about your mom? Yeah. Was she like, did she have like mental, like, uh, like any type of mental issues, like, bipolarism or something like that because that's what it sounds like so i grew up in the mid 80s in the middle of the united states where, so where, getting where, where part? des moines iowa oh wow okay so you were so, you were like in the in the sticks 
Well, okay, wait. Des Moines is a big city. It's the insurance capital of the world. Of the right, fair, fair, fair enough. I did not grow up on a farm in the middle of nowhere. I know everybody thinks that when I say I, Iowa, but... I grew up in Orange County, so it's like... Yeah, there wasn't a, an official diagnosis, but certainly there is a bipolar, very strong potential that that was her, you know, challenge. And she didn't get the help she needed. And honestly, writing this book uncovered so many secrets and truths while I was writing it. But then after it was published, oh, my God, the skeletons coming out of the closet are crazy. And so there are some explanations about why my mom was the way she was. Not excuses, but explanations that I didn't know. I'm 51 years old. I'm just now learning some things that are mind-blowing. So what, what would you say if you were to, were to characterize you know, like the, the learnings of the situation. So, so I guess, first of all, you, you wrote the book. It's a memoir about your life. We went deep early, early in this, which is, hey, I, I grew up in a situation where I was trying to prove worthiness to my mother. And did, was your father around or was it he? It really out? wasn't trying to prove worthiness to her. Of course, I wanted her to love me and stop treating me the way she did. And she was very, she really was more engaged with my two younger brothers. Okay. I wouldn't say she was a good mother to them, but she was more engaged and, uh, you know, in, with them. I was looking for outside help. I was Not looking either. for people to say, you know what, that Natasha Miller, she's an amazing violinist. What a special girl. She's being treated horribly. I'm going to get her out of there. I was looking for that. So, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean that you were from your mother, but but like normally when kids, at least this is what I'm learning through a lot of my own work, which is that when kids become achievers, it's and they grow up in a traumatic environment, it's because they're trying to prove worth, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, I don't know. Probably everyone kind of projects that differently, right? But, yeah. but like, like for in my case, it was like school, sports, you know, like being class president. Like, I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm going to prove worth, right? I'm going to, mm -hmm. I'm going to win at everything. Mm -hmm. Right. Because then undeniably, if I'm the best, you can't say I'm not the best. Right. Right. And so so I, that's why when you said it, I was like, oh, I know where we're going here. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I have some of that stuff in my own life. And so was your um, was your father around or was he? Yeah. And, and what and how did he like what was his role within all this? My dad was the most amazing father in like every way that you could think of, except for protecting me from her. Oh, wow. And I didn't understand at the time. I couldn't see what was going on, right? But I would beg him to leave her, help me. And he just, you know, he actually helped me fill in the holes um, when I started writing this book. I would ask him, what the hell happened? What was going on? Why did you let this happen? Because we have a very good relationship now. And he ended up saying, you know, I was in shock proof denial and I had a huge capacity for alcohol. And honestly, I don't think he he just didn't know what to do. Yeah, it's right? tough. It's tough. Like I I had a coach that we were t we've talked about like hard things like this, um, different version of it. But his whole thing was like, "What if that's the best your dad could do?" Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, "Fuck that!" I know. <laughs> like you know, it was the best enough. he could do at the time, but he grew into such an amazing man. So the last half of my life, at least the last 25, 30 years. 30 years uh, without saying I'm going to double down and make up for this. He never said that. 
And I don't know if that was his intention, but he just grew into such an incredible man and father and person. He did the work. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's, and that's important, right? It's like, that's what we could control is we can't control what's happened, but we control how do we move forward from it? So let me ask a question. So you, you know, obviously we're jumping into the book, but you grew up in this environment with, mm-hmm. um, with the mom that was obviously, you know, emotionally abusive, it sounds like in an environment where at the age of 16, you were you know, left in a homeless shelter during that time though, look, tell us about, you know, music and, and the, yeah. cause that sounds like that became a saving grace for you. It really did. I think music that was in my soul. That was something that was going to happen no matter what. And it created my life and it saved my life. And, you know, we didn't have much money or it didn't, I don't know how much money we did or did not have, but it wasn't coming to us. Like, you know, I wasn't getting anything that the other kids were getting in the neighborhood. And we grew up in a very modest place. So um, I didn't think that I would ever have access to violin lessons because they cost money and a violin is expensive. But my school had free violin lessons and gave out rented, not rented, but, you know, free violins to check out. So I started classical violin lessons when I was in fourth grade. I was in, I landed in the youth symphony, which is high school youth symphony at in sixth grade. I was in the back of the second violins trying to play Beethoven's fifth symphony, which I mean, was really not possible, but, Mm -hmm. and then in seventh and eighth grade, my conductor saw something in me that was special. I might have been regarded somewhat like a prodigy, but again, this is Des Moines, Iowa. I I don't think I would have stood up to anyone else that was really a prodigy, but she had me studying with a college professor at Drake university as a very young girl. And I remember skipping school to practice for hours to prepare for those lessons because the stakes were so high. Wow. And then I ended up going on a full ride scholarship um, to college where no one in my high school thought I would ever go to college because I didn't really go to high school that much because I was working full time at night to, you know, fend for myself. So there was, you know, my counselors actually said after they saw me after graduation, I did graduate from high school, barely. They said, wow, Natasha, you know, we thought we'd find you dead in a gutter at some point. I was like, so weird. Right. But like, like, how do they not know, like, they're just clueless about what's going on in your personal life and what you were doing? I think they saw that I had no parental guidance. I had my own apartment. I wasn't coming to school on a regular basis because why would I? It, it wasn't a priority. I went for art lessons and string quartet and, you know, symphony, but all the other subjects, like, what did I need to do that for? I didn't right. see the value in that. Plus, I was tired. You know, you work until 10, 11, and then now I'm an adult at 16. And what do you do after you work at a restaurant, after your shift ends? You fill in the blanks. You go out. Yeah, I was going to say, you go party. Yeah. <laughs> So we'd go across the street to a bar and listen to music and everyone would be having Cosmopolitans and Apple teenies. And I would order one too. And like, I didn't really like alcohol. I still don't, but I kind of sipped on it and played the part. Yeah. So, you, so it sounds like, like music again was your salvation. How did like, I'd love to hear how that progressed and how that led you into becoming an entrepreneur. Yeah. I never thought I would be an entrepreneur or a business person that was not in the 
trajectory. I just thought I would be a performing artist. If you were to say like, like what? I think, you know, being on stage like Bonnie Raider, Cheryl Crow was like, because I'm a singer songwriter, also a jazz vocalist. Like I have a lot of genres going on, but it turns out that when you're fending for yourself at such a young age and you learn to monetize everything, you also, if you're me, um, you know, when somebody's calling me, like if you were to call me and say, Hey, can I book you on Friday, June 10th? And I already had a, a gig booked. Most musicians would say, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm booked. Click. But I would say, you know what? I'm booked on that night with my group, but I'm going to bring in a group that's as good as I am, similar to me, probably better, and manage them. So now I'm out playing my violin or singing at a wedding or a corporate event. And two, three, or four other groups are out performing at the same time. Wow. And I'm making money from that. Wow. So, so you were like a, almost like a booking agent for these yeah. different performers. At a very early age. I yeah, was, was going to say, how old were you? I mean, I did my first professional gig at 15, but I was probably 19. I remember hiring my college professors and <laughs> calling the symphony office and, and booking musicians from there. And they thought it was really cute and very cool at first. Then they didn't love that their student was pulling the puppet strings. Oh, yeah. You're like, hey, uh, you didn't give me a C for this, and I have three more bookings. You sure you want them? <laughs> <laughs> doesn't look like you're really interested in my bookings. All you can muster up as a C for me when I deserve an A. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I did that, you know, without a business license and without, you know, anything formal. And in 2001, I put up, you know, the shingle and got a business license and started Entire Productions. Oh, wow. But we focused on what I knew and what I knew at the time was jazz and classical, but people wanted dance bands and headliners and aerialists. And, you know, we're in the Bay Area, so a lot of ethnic groups. And I learned very quickly. And now we supply talent of every genre and every discipline, dancers, models, you know, everything for these corporate events. But now, of course, we're planning the events as well. So at what point did you make your way from? Des Moines to, um, or the Midwest, but that's, cause that's a pretty big leap, right? Like going yeah. from homeless, like, yeah. like hustler. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, are, do you, are you, do you know who Kat Hoke is? Are you familiar with her? Oh, I know who she is. Yeah. I haven't done her programs or gone to the prisons with her, but yeah, I know. So, so it's funny, like, like, cause what she, like what you just described to, in my mind was your, that was hustle, right? Like that was, mm-hmm. Hey, you had this innate hustle mm-hmm. to like, put together and it was based off of the need to survive. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that just trans like you like on paper, like that you wouldn't think like, cause most performers are not fending for themselves at right. 16. Right. But yeah. you're like, Hey dude, like I'm, I need I, I, more money means I have more like living ability. Right. Yeah. As opposed to Correct. like extra like pocket change. No. And, yeah. And, I wasn't buying, I don't know, back then there were folio bags and Izod and polo shirts and all these things that I just never had access to. Right. You were like paying rent. Um. Right. And figuring out that you have to call the power company. There's a, a power company. You don't just flip on a light switch. What? Huh? What the no, hell? No way. And you have to have, you have to have credit and then you have to put down a deposit. Yeah. What are you talking about? 
Yeah. Well, so you, you know, was necessity is the mother of all invention, right? Like you yeah. had, you needed to pick up those skills yeah. and, uh, and, you know, so that's obviously the, the a positive that comes out of that level of burden, which, you know, I would never wish upon a 16 year old, but, but you, you leveled up to the occasion. So how did that translate into, Hey, I'm going to move to San Francisco. Well, okay. So since I was 16 and, and functioning as an adult in the world, by the time I was 20, 21, I was way older mentally, sort of, but also in what I was doing. And I met a guy that was nine years older than I was. And in my heart, I would have loved to have gone to New York and become a Broadway musical star, which is funny because I don't dance or act, but whatever. <laughs> um, but the winters are so excruciating. Oh, brutal. In Des Moines, Iowa. And honestly, the summers are excruciating. So I just wanted out. Uh, and so this man and I, uh, my daughter's dad, he wanted to uh, move to Berkeley to study uh, under an architect that he really, he was an architect who we really admired. I was like, fine, get me out of here. Like, I will go to San Francisco. I'm the one who made all the money to get the moving van, get the apartment. I had saved $4,000. And I remember, you know, working for Manpower and Kelly Services isn't something that you like typically would brag about, right? And it's also kind of like not very sophisticated. But back then, I was like, I'm playing every gig I can find. I'm working whatever job. I think, oh my God, I sold clothes at Eddie Bauer. It's true. <laughs> I mean, I was making $5 an hour and I was like, I could transfer to the San Francisco Union Square store. And make six dollars an hour. Boom. Minimum wage yeah. baby. <laughs> like I was so excited. And but I also worked for Kelly and Manpower. And I was handing out flyers in our skywalk system. And I remember someone that I knew came up to me and was like, What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. That's what I'm doing. I'm doing yeah. everything I can do to get us out of there. This is when you're in Iowa. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I was 20, let's see, I was 23 and okay. got married at a very young age, clearly, and then moved to San Francisco. And then a year later, I had my daughter, Bennett. Oh, so cool. And then a year after that, I got divorced. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. 
Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now, and let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life, from canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wow. You, you, and you were, so how old are you at that? 26, 25? When I got divorced? Yeah. Uh, I might not be doing the math right. I think officially, officially paperwork and all that. I was 27 by the time we got divorced. You, you live like an entire lifetime from the age mm-hmm. 16 to 27 that most people don't live until they're like 50. So yeah. that's, that's pretty amazing. If I look and, old and haggard, that's why. Oh no, you look beautiful. Come on. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Hey gang, Darius Mashaza here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. So listen, I know we have a lot of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business owners out there that listen to the show. And right now, if you're one of those folks and you're doing, let's call it a bare minimum of seven figures and above in your business, then what I'd like to do is give you an offer right now. How would you like to get your hands on the frameworks that I actually used to scale my last company, which started off as a small little seven-figure company? to over $100 million in annual revenue. And I did it in less than two years and I did it without costly growing pains, without the headaches that that you usually experience when you are scaling your businesses. So if you're one of those folks and you're trying to grow your company, but you're you're finding yourself stuck in that day-to-day, if you're one of the listeners and you're getting grinded, this is your respite from getting grinded on your business, you're listening to our show and you're dealing with the breakdowns, you're dealing with inefficiencies, and you know, you've got that firefighter suit on and all the problems lining on your desk and you're, you're not doing the work you're supposed to be doing, which is working on the business instead of in it, then what I'm about to talk to you about for the next call 60 seconds, this is precisely for you. 
Real quickly, though, if you don't already know this about me, prior to starting The Greatness Machine, I spent 20 years of my life as a founder and CEO of real-world companies. And during that time, I actually grew my companies to over $1.2 billion with a B in bootstrap revenue. In fact, uh, we scaled out my last company from 30 to 1,000 employees, and we did it in just 36 months. And we did it all by using a three-step framework that I call my scale map method. So that, of course, brings us to the purpose of this here mid-roll ad. Yes, this is what the podcast producers call these things. Recently, I created a 30-minute training. And what it does is it walks you step-by-step through all of my scale map method frameworks. And you can watch it right now for free when you go to DariusScale.com. That's my first name, Darius. Scale, S-C-A-L-E.com. And what these frameworks do is they fix... They simplify and they streamline every single aspect of your business. And they do it without the need for complicated scaling systems that are typically way too difficult and way too time consuming for a busy CEO like you and from my, like myself was to implement. So if you want a simple and you want a proven path to remove yourself from the day-to-day operations, just like I did, so that you can do what you're supposed to be doing, which is leading your company to record growth without the headaches and without the growing pains, go to DariusScale.com. That's www.DariusScale.com. Watch the short video and I'll see you guys on the inside. Now, back to the show. So from that, you know, you're there. And uh, entire production started what year? What year? 2001. So a few years later, you start the, the production business. Yep. That's been around now for over 20 years. Yep. Um, and you guys are doing some big stuff. You said you guys are putting on Salesforce, doing some of the Salesforce events. Yeah. So you're a big event promotion company, and you're still doing a ton of production as far as booking uh, acts for these different events as yep. well. well. Tell us a little bit about the business. The business pre-pandemic was amazing. We had done 650 events in 2019, 777 in 2018. And pandemic hit. We can talk about that later. You know what happened there. But, um, you know, we are doing over-the-top, fantastical, wonderful, creative, out-of-the-box events for these companies. We're not doing meetings or trade shows or conferences, right? That's not our jam. We're like, if you want to throw a balls-out party, we are the people to call. I love it. Yeah. So, um, I mean, if you look at our website, just just the photos alone on your first like three seconds, you'll you'll be able to see, you know, the intensity, the boldness of what we get to do here in the San Francisco Bay Area, which you know, pretty much anything goes. Like I can have half naked people running around at a corporate event. Half. I mean, like, yeah, I meant full <laughs> certain little bits covered, but like full body painted. Yeah. Anyway, it's great. Yeah. I, have, I So it's funny. Gosh, I'm trying to remember the name of my friends. There, she's in a clowning group. And it's like, ooh, foo or something like that. Oh, yeah. You know, talk, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my, one of my really good friends is, is one of those. She's in that group. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and People I've watched them before. Yeah, they're amazing. And she actually, I, she's actually been a guest on the show in character as the oh ice, as God, ice queen. She that's was so awesome. As ice queen. Yeah. Um, so you guys, so like, who is like your ideal client then? Like when we start to, is there, like, what's the, because I, I love, I used to be an event promoter and through like big club parties. And I, I ah, yeah. love throwing like personal parties and yeah. big business parties. What What's like an ideal client for you guys? Ideal client is... um you know, Fortune 100 client, 
with a very healthy budget that understands the value of working with entire productions, gives us, you know, what the outcomes need to be, what their budget is, you know, what, what not to do, and then just let us go and design something wonderful and not be micromanaged. I love that. Yeah. So, so let me ask you a question because obviously you are a a, a entre- like everyone's entrepreneurial stories are different, right? But your entrepreneurial story is a pretty unique one. If you had to give yourself, you know, if you were to get into a time machine and go back, you know, twenty one years to oh one to mm-hmm. young Natasha mm-hmm. and said, "Hey, sister, I'm going to give you some advice yeah. that you need to hear." What's mm-hmm. the one piece of advice you would have given to, to you know younger Natasha? Yeah, it's being an so easy to to answer this question. So back then I had no college degree. I had no formal business training and I was a little full of myself. I thought that I could make it up as I go, do it by gut instinct. I was so creative. I was so successful. And again, I was successful within my little world, right? It was a lifestyle business at that time. And I got a lot of attention, a lot of accolades. I had no idea that I was shooting myself in the foot. Now, I also may not have been in a mental space to do what I'm going to just say what is what I would say to that person is I know a shortcut and here's what the shortcut is. Do the work, take the courses, do the EMP at MIT, do an entrepreneurial master's course, find out how other people, it doesn't matter necessarily what industry they're in, how do businesses create that firm foundation in which to grow? I didn't start getting that training until 2015. Wow. And at 2015, I was already, you know, a couple million dollars in revenue. I had no idea how to read my financial reports and I didn't care. I didn't know how much money was going in or out. I kind of knew by gut still. And I was afraid of talking about financial reports with anybody. And I went to the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses course in Boston at Babson. And that just changed everything as well. Then I was working with an advisor who um, ran a $4 billion company. And so immediately, you can imagine, it was like an injection of all of this knowledge. And I'm the kind of person, thankfully, that when knowledge is coming in, action is coming out. So it's this at the same time. I don't him and ha and wait and wonder and, you know, weigh the out, you know, pros and cons. If something feels and sounds good and right, it's in action immediately. Wow. That's when, yeah. is it, when the student's ready, the teacher will arrive, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, I may not have been ready back then. Yeah. You know, probably not, right? Because you're a pretty, you know, like capable person, obviously. Yeah. And, like, I mean, I got, I did EMP. So for those listeners that don't know what EMP is, that's the Birthing of Giants. It used to be called Birthing of Giants. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the Entrepreneurial Master's Program now at, at MIT. I did that program. I got into it in 06. Mm-hmm. Were you ready for it? <laughs> You're gonna love this. I applied in 05 and missed the deadline because uh-huh. like, I filled out the application and <laughs> held onto it for 51 weeks. So okay. I was chomping at the bit for it. And back then... You didn't have to be a member of entrepreneurs organization to be. Oh, okay. I applied through Inc. Magazine. So oh, back, yeah. So back then, Inc. Magazine put it on. Yeah. And so your question was, was I ready? Oh, yeah. I was salivating for help. Yeah. Because my business was, my my Inc. 5000 business was, uh, my company 
at the time was in San Francisco. It was number 40 in the Inc. 5000 mm. in 2007. So 06, I was, 07 means 03 through 06 is when you earned right, it. Right, right. So in 04 and 03, I was getting my ass kicked. Yeah. Like I had like 100 employees and I was like 27. Oh. And I'm like, this is, I, I, it was all through pain. And I was yeah. like, there's got to be a better way. And, and so for me, it was, you know, I learned through pain. Like if you really want to teach me, just, just, just punch me and I'll feel pain. I'll be like, Hey, I'm gonna go fix that. Um, yeah. so no, I was ready. I, I was ready. I didn't know what to do with it. It took me some time to figure it out in oh. my, and my was a subprime mortgage lender. So my business imploded in 08. Mm. So my year three of that program, I actually was, had shrunk from 150 employees to 10 employees. Yep. So I was, I, so yeah, it was, it's a good place to be though when you're in that challenge is in that program. Yeah. And to your point, like this is where, like when we surround ourselves with peers who are in different stages of what we're trying to do, it forces you to become a better version of yourself. If you have that learner mindset, which clearly yeah. you do have with, I mean, you're like, when I was reading it, it's like, I didn't even go through it all because I'm like, ah, oh, we'll talk about it on the show. And I was like, well, it's it's just a lot, right? Like you did. The, it just shows what you like. You're like, hey, I want to learn, right? Mm -hmm. No, like I don't know anyone that's done the Babson program, the MIT program, and the Harvard program. <laughs> so you're like, I'm going to go to the best and be around the best. And learn you know what? And I did that first year of MIT, and I and I thought for just a split, only a split second, the Harvard program came up, and I was like, Do I do that one too in the same year? Is that too much? Okay, yeah, I'm going to do it. <laughs> And thank God I did, because that was 2019. Wow. And had I, you know, wavered, it would have been a couple, it's all that knowledge that I have now. Like, thank God. Yeah, that's well, and 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 that stuff is that type of stuff where it's like, what I always compare it to is you have a toolbox and your toolbox gets bigger and you have more tools to go that you learn how to use, right? And that's part of the craft of any craft, right? Whether it's being a violinist or being a singer or being an entrepreneur is we're just building up our tool sets to be mm -hmm. better at our craft, right? Right. And, and, and so and clearly you've done a great job at that. So how big right now is like how many employees do you guys have? How big yep. is the current team? Well, let's start with uh, pre-pandemic. We were at 12 total uh, full-time W-2 employees. Right. And I had to lay half of them off. Oh my God. Today we're at seven, but we're starting to hire, you know, well, I do that snapping like as if I'm going to be able to hire that many people quickly. Um, you know, hiring is a challenge right now. Um, I see my my business potentially doubling, not by the end of this year, but next year and definitely more into 2024 because, you know, because of the obvious. Yeah. Right. So corporations, their corporate clients are doing events now. But of course, the mass mandate just came off and, you know, things are changing, but then our the COVID rates are going way up. And that means that I'm going to, like, I literally had a, this was a small event, but I had a $50,000 uh, budget event that were like, sign, give me the, we're good. We're good to go. And then I get a call from the leader of that team, not their, you know, direct reports because he felt so bad. He's like, I can't do it. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Wow. Like, okay, so moving right along. I mean, wait, you can't cry about it. Yeah. You know, like, look, I'm of, at this point, like we're so deep into this. So we just did. So it, we were talking about the EMP and, and, and before the show, I was telling you that I'm, I was the chairperson of gathering of Titans Yeah, and we held off on that even that's the gr alumni program for this right. program. And so we held off for three years 
Mm-hmm. And then we finally did it. <laughs> and it became a super spreader event. <laughs> Wait, I, got, I didn't hear about that. You no, know, 50 out of 80 people got COVID. <laughs> no. I, I was I was the chair and I got COVID. Yeah, and but you know what? Everyone they went home, they got sick for three days, and everyone was fine. You know, now is that the case with everybody? No. But I think we're in a world right now where it's like, look, you know if you're at risk and you gotta take whatever precautions you have. Yeah. And if you're not at risk, like you got to go live your life. That, that's my position on it yeah. because it, it's like, this is a thing that's going to be here for, for probably forever. Yeah. Right? I don't think this is going away. And so I, I look at these events. And I'm like, the, my position on this is this is here to stay. We have to like work our lives around it. Not, not, not have lives because right. there's this, this, <laughs> this, this, this sickness that, you know, very small percentage of people will actually probably be, it'll be a fatality for. And right. if I'm in that, if I'm in that camp, I'm going to go do what I got to do to protect myself. But outside of that, and my wife got mad at me when I came home. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? I've been sitting in the house for two years. I said, look, I got you sick. Can't, I, you can't keep an extrovert down for that long. Oh, no, the fact that I even do stuff out of my house drives me crazy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so um, enough about moi. <laughs> Let me talk about myself. I'm an extrovert. I'll do it all day long. Um, <laughs> so let's fast forward to the book. Like, look, you, you've had an amazing career in business. You've built an amazing business. And but and it came out of such an unusual background of music and and especially like classically trained violinist, jag of vocalist, singing in front of forty thousand people yeah. to, to running a business. I saw how that happened. What made you say like, man, I'm going to write about this crazy life I've had? <laughs> so no one knew about any of the stuff about my backstory. I wasn't keeping it this deep dark secret. But you don't lead conversation with this. Hey, Darius, um, I'm Natasha. I was abused as a child and lived in a homeless shelter. And, you know, you don't do that. No one does it. It's not socially acceptable. But about four years ago, and in fact, this is where I was. It's sort of a humble brag, but it's an important one to say. So I was at a conference with seven, eight, nine figure businesses learning, trying to learn how to scale and grow even more. Like I can't get enough. And I started dripping some information about my past and the reaction of people was so intense. They like literally leaned in like, Oh my God, you have to write a book. Like you, Oh my God. Like, well, as I was telling people, people are like, write that down. That needs to come into the book. I'm like, okay, there's something here. And then a couple months later, I'm at the Inc 5,000 gala of which, uh, at which I'm a speaker uh, for the conference. And I'm sitting at this speaker's table with you know, the guy that owns calm.com, then a billion, you know, dollar company. It's probably more than that now. And we were all introducing ourselves. And I knew that I had to push myself into saying the things about me that I'd been keeping dormant for so long and that we're going to be in this book. So I actually said, okay, I'm going to practice this here at this table. I said this out loud. Like, this is the first time I'm saying it. So bear with me. And I don't exactly remember what I said. But again, everyone's leaning in. Everyone's like, what? Can you give me the cliff notes of like what you think you said? Yeah, I think it was um, something to the effect that I was abandoned by my family at a homeless shelter. And I've been on my own since I was 16, like something brief like that. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like I had gone through so much, such incredibly low inflection points, and then enjoyed some incredibly high inflection points. And then the most important part about all that at this time, I was far enough away 
from both things that I can be reflective about them and see them in a way that wasn't like, I'm going to get vengeance for all the people that didn't save me or all the people that hurt me. That's not what the book is about. Um, And as I started writing it and talking about it, then I'm now I'm talking about it out loud with anyone who will listen while writing it. I learned so much. Like there's something that happens at the end of the book. I'm not telling you what it is that blew through my family. Like, uh, a bomb. It was amazing. It was a very tumultuous, crazy, uh, like what that ended up being a very good thing, but I had to put the writing down for six months while this was happening. And in fact, I was at the MIT program when this was happening and I didn't know if I was going to go back to writing the book and if I could ever publish it. But like with everything, there's time that passes And I decided to start writing again. And I also decided to find a really good editor. And I found this editor from HarperCollins that rocked my world and really helped me make this book the beautiful read that it is. Did you, um, so this is just kind of a a question. Did you get blowback from your family on telling such a personal story? I mean, obviously... (sighs) That's I think I just got my answer. So yeah, you did. So you well, let me tell you this. I told my dad and my daughter immediately that I was going to write it, and I had support, maybe some hesitancy from my dad, but you know it wasn't going to be real anytime soon. So we're good. But I was scared to tell my brothers because I knew that they would be like, "Don't put our disgustingly you know dirty laundry out in front of any you know they." I figured they'd be really protective of their own part of the story. And the one brother that is a little more buttoned up and corporate minded and, you know, kind of, he was the one, he literally physically pointed at me when I divulged this, this is four or five months after I started writing and he goes, it all happened. You write it. Oh yeah. Okay. Shit. So like, I feel like, you know, I'm giving him voice to what happened and I'm learning that Things happened to my brothers that I wasn't necessarily aware of. I didn't have the capacity to be aware of. I was also gone at 16 and they were 12 and 8 at the time. Oh. So I had to sort of, I didn't really ask for permission from my brothers, but I kind of said, this is happening. And the other brother was like, yeah, well, if they're in your journals, because I've been journaling since I was 10, why do you have to publish a book? Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a, Please right. don't do it. Yeah, yeah, because he was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I didn't, um, I didn't ask my mom for permission. That would have not worked. And honestly, a lot of the people's names I did change in the book. Some of them I asked for permission and only one that I asked for the permission said, yeah, you should probably change my name for like your benefit but in mine as well. And then there's some people that are like, use my name. So, so were, were these like friends and family members essentially that, that mm-hmm. were, you, you were saying, Hey, and so, so also you- a business advisor. So, oh, okay. you know, the person that I was referring to before he um, works for a giant company. And if you are running a $4 billion company, you got some challenges. Yeah. And, you got, cause you got a bunch of stakeholders that yeah. don't, don't necessarily want to get affected by your contribution to someone else's story. Yeah, right. right. So, you know, there's been some words um, I have not heard from my mother. Um, I did hear that she bought the book and started to read it and put it down. And honestly, what I've learned about her since I published the book, you know, I feel 
even sadder for her because her story was, you know what? Her story was my story. Yeah. And I didn't realize it. Wow. Yeah. I think it's funny when if uh, with abusive parents, um, cause I, I, I actually had some abuse in my family. And so what you realize as you get older is like for someone to be that hate, I think also when you have a kid, you realize it for someone to be that hateful towards a child is like, you can't even imagine the amount of hate, self hate that's going on. Right. Right. That's like for it to erupt out of them onto who they're supposed to protect and love. And, yeah. and it is just a reflection of such a self hatred. Yep. And I kind of came to some terms with like, cause, cause my dad was no fucking peach. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, he taught me how to be an entrepreneur, but he was, he was, he had a lot of, a lot of issues. And, um, you know, my reflection on it, similar to yours is, is like, Hey, you know, maybe he was doing the best he could. And, and, and maybe it was a far cry from where, what, what I, what I do as a parent, but mm-hmm. that was just a reflection of a lot of pain he was feeling, you know? Yeah. So, and what do you, and I think to your point, like having that like pers- perspective of, Hey, like her story is my story. It's like, wow. What, what? And that's a new revelation to me yeah. because I was told other things that weren't true. And yeah, so I think more skeletons are due to come out of the closet. You know, you never know when or where or who. But when the phone rings or I get an email, I'm like, oh, God. Like, <laughs> really? Oh, really? Are you feeling some anxiety about it now? Or? Well, I mean, you know, when somebody's like, hey, I have to talk to you. I'm like, oh, God, what? Like, Yeah, because the book's. The book's pretty new. I mean, when yeah, did, March twenty second. Yeah, so you got you got uh you know Wall Street Journal USA Today bestseller, which is huge. Yep. Congratulations, by the way. Most people, yeah. I don't think most people understand how hard it is to it's do that. So much work. I had a twenty five point marketing plan. I nearly killed myself. Yeah, um, it was. I did way too much. I did. Listen, I did a live um, launch event similar to yours, not as long, two and a half hours in the metaverse. That was incredible. Then, because I'm me, I did a just a blowout event at the SF MoMA yeah. in the theater, a performance reading uh, for a couple hundred people, and then we went into the atrium and had this like gala, you know, you know, the entire production's way. But that's just that, and I count those two things as one uh, thing is the event. Twenty five other things, and the one thing that I dropped, thank God I did. Because my audience wasn't ready. And honestly, I wasn't either. And this would have put me in the grave. I was going to do an NFT launch for the book. Wow. And I may do that in the future. I'm interested in that space. But God save me. I'm so glad that I recognized that needed to be wiped off the slate. Yeah. Well, you know, I I have a good friend. You know John Rulin? Yeah. Yeah. So John says a book launch is a five-year process, right? And so like, you're just, you know, you're like a few weeks in, <laughs> you know, and I and, am. Yeah. And I, uh, I have another friend, you know, he's like, look, you put a year's worth of work into one week, right? Like that's, that's really what a book launch is. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, you're, you're like to get the, you know, like no one realizes that either. And, and like, I mean, I think I, I calculated 1500 hours of work for my book launch, right? I don't, I don't want to know. I, really, I, yeah. I just, I need to shut that down. So I don't, I, it took a small army. I mean, I had so many people working on this launch experts, you know, NGNG helped me. Um, I hired a team 
internally. I have a full team that's working on this book launch, which is, of course, a continuing endeavor. Um, you know, we're applying for all the literary awards. We've won three so far, which, you know, I was just shocked when we won the first one. I was like, are you kidding me? I almost didn't open that email. Wow. The email from the London Book Festival came and it said something like, click here to see the winners of the book festival. And I'm thinking, well, if I won anything, somebody's going to say, hi, Natasha, congratulations. <laughs> oh, they didn't do that. So I literally almost deleted it. This is on my phone. Then later I sat on my computer. I was like, yeah, I'll just click the link. I didn't win in just one category. I won the whole thing. Wow. I had the highest honors award. And then I also won in a category for that that particular one. That's so cool. So that's part of our, you know, strategy is to apply for these literary awards and I'm not going to win them all. And if I do, then my ego is going to get way too big. So, <laughs> so, so yeah. So look like, um, what, what next the books out, you have the business that's thriving. Yeah. Like what's next on the horizon? For yeah. The so I'm thankfully able to work on my business, entire productions, about 20% of my time and not day to day. I'm not working with clients. I'm not responsible for the big stuff. And I'm building some other things that are definitely more of a heart centered, like not that the music and the entertainment that of course is my baby, right? But I'm teaching now, which I can't wait to do entrepreneurs to write their own story, their memoir, figure out what their publishing path should be for them and how to market it. And of course, market it to bestseller if that's important to you, but there's so many other things. I'm teaching this course. Um, I love to help entrepreneurs figure out how to scale and grow. And I'm very system and process oriented. And this was before, this was actually before um, all of the learnings I had with uh, Goldman Sachs and MIT and Harvard. There's something that I did that was miraculous. I created a system that runs my entire company within Salesforce, not because I wanted to scale and grow, but because of the inefficiency that we were doing before with double, triple, quadruple and entry. And then we automated everything that was low touch or repeatable. And this isn't because I'm a genius. This was because I was annoyed. Yeah. And now Salesforce has turned around and said, listen, you use our software in a way that we didn't mean for it to be used. Like you're going to break it. Eventually, this thing that you want to do is not going to work. And they're like, you use it in a much more sophisticated way than we did. And I was like, well, I'm going to make it work. I know how. Here's the, you know, wraparound. And, you know, they had me speak at Dreamforce, you know, their 200,000 person event. Wow. Because I became their like small business evangelist. Because, of course, you know, I'm out there saying, look at us. Look at what we did. But we did it with Salesforce. Right. That's so yeah. cool. So, um, for people that want to connect with you, um, you know, after listening to the show, what's the best way for them to connect? How, how do they get the book? Give us all the rundown. The book relentless homeless team to achieving the entrepreneur dream is available on Barnes and Noble, Amazon, all those digital places, but get the audible because there's a big surprise for you in there. And I could tell you what it is and you could probably guess what it is, but you won't understand the depth of how cool it is until you check it out. And then my website is officialnatashamiller.com. So let me ask a question. Did you read your own, did you read your own book? Oh, I I screwed that up, but good, good for you. And I'm, I'm so excited to, to figure out what the surprise is. So Mm -hmm. you guys heard it here. Um, 
check out the book, Relentless. Um, and as as Natasha said, by Natasha Miller, you can get it where all books are sold. The Audible, as she said, has a little Easter egg surprise in there for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, once again, what's the website? OfficialNatashaMiller.com. And if you want to know why I have to have that URL, DM me and I will tell you the story. All right, guys. Listen, Natasha, so much gratitude for having you on The Greatness Machine finally. I'm so I'm so happy after our paths crossing yeah. all the time that we finally actually spent some time together. We so. need to meet in person now in real life. Let's IRL. do it. IRL, baby. Yeah. Um, man, everyone, thank you so much for listening to the show. Check us out. We got many more great shows coming. But yeah, go support Natasha. Buy the book. And uh, let's check out some Easter eggs. Everyone, yeah. hope you make it a great day. Peace out. We love you. You are listening to The Greatness Machine. And that's a wrap for today. Listen. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.